Aren't you glad you're a part of the family of God? Well, how about singing about it? Stand and join with the choir. Hymn number 23 in the songbook, The Family of God. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the fountain, cleansed by His blood. Joined hands with Jesus as He traveled this sod. For I'm a part of the family, the family of God. You will notice we say, brother. And sister, right here, it's because we're a family, and these folks are so near. When, when one has a heartache, we all share the tears, and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear. I'm so glad that I'm a part of the family of God. Yeah, 
and shake hands with those around you. Let them know you're glad to see them here in the Lord's house tonight. Senior breakfast this coming Thursday. It's going to be at Egg City in Haines City. Uh, we will provide transportation for that. Uh, meet here at the church. I'm going to be leaving here. The vans will be leaving here uh, at 745, so please be here uh, prior to that. Um, teen campus tomorrow morning, amen? We've been talking about it, praying about it, and here we are. We're leaving tomorrow morning. Um, ask that you be praying for us, that we'll have safety on the way up, no mechanical difficulty. Um, be praying that um, the young people have a lot of spiritual growth and they'll behave themselves, amen. And uh, pray that the counselors will behave themselves. That, that will be a real challenge. Um, one thing I know for sure, you, you go to camp and, and it is it's taxing on the body. But uh, about, about Tuesday, Wednesday, when the body's beat up really well, there's no more strength to fight against the Holy Spirit. Now spiritual things start to happen. That's good stuff. So y'all be praying for us, please. We certainly do covet your prayers. We're asking the young people to be here tomorrow morning at 550 with everything packed, all their gear and their money. Um, for, and also we're going to need uh, money for one meal on the way up, money for one meal on the way back in addition to everything else. Um, counselor meeting tonight after the service in the fellowship hall, please. Uh, meet with you right after the service. It won't be long. I, I promise you it will not be long uh, because there's still a few things that we need to get accomplished before we head out. Those of you who helped with snow cones today, um, listen, I, I just want you to know I appreciate that so very much. It, it's a team to, to get that many snow cones passed out and uh, to take them over there. And, and it's a lot of work. It really is. It's a lot of work beforehand. 
Miss Amy and Miss Stacy back there grinding snow cone ice and and making those. We appreciate that so much. That stuff doesn't just that all the behind the the scenes things that go on. Um, just like the choir, it doesn't just they don't just show up and just sing that well. They practice. There's a lot of things that go in, into that. So thank you for all the background work. And then uh, fun spot July 28th. Uh, we do still have tickets available for that, and they were $25 each. And then I also want to say <clears throat> to those who gave towards camp, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've made an investment in the lives of young people. Uh, they say that 80% of preachers, uh, I, don't, I don't know how they get this number, but as many as 80% of preachers that they were called to preach at a youth camp, at a youth camp. And I, I don't know how they get that number, but that, that's amazing, isn't it? So you never know what your investment in the life of a young person just, just made. So thank you so much for that. And also I want to say thank you to everyone who has been praying and you will continue to pray. Thank you so much. We, we need that. Even more than the money. We need the money too, but thank you for the prayers. Thank you so much. Please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 228. Hymn number 228. Please stand and join me as we sing, He Hideth My Soul.
once again, I mentioned to you, remember to pray for Nell O'Neill. She is doing better, some better. They put her in a nursing home. And um, Brother King, um, Pat was here this morning. She said he's, it's, it's going to take a long, long time to, for him to be able to get out again. They're, they're predicting now six months. And um, I remember, remember him in prayer. So let's bow our heads now and ask the Lord blessings on the offering on our service here tonight. Brother Howell, would you lead us in prayer? Amen. dreams from the start and the hopes of my best were the hopes that I harbored down deep in my heart but the dreams turned to ashes my castles all crumbled my fortune turned to loss so I wrapped it all in the rags of my life and laid it at the Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion, the understood, all I had.
your back, Jim. <laughs> Open your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter six. That is not the second book in the Bible. I announced this morning I'll be preaching from Leviticus. That's the second book in the Bible. And I started reading the verse, and I thought, why did I say that? And I was hoping that nobody noticed, but I think half of you did. And half of you made a remark about it. So, But I don't, I don't know what I was thinking. Second Samuel chapter 6, we, uh, Brother... Um, Tony and I talk about, a lot about um, the way churches have changed it, over the years, and, and there's very few. We have people, you know, that visit us all the time. They say, this is the first church that we've been in a long time that still preaches from the King James Bible and still has songbooks and still has a choir and all those kind of things. And, um, and I was thinking about a situation. I've preached on this before, but this is not the same message. Look at Second uh, Samuel chapter six, verse one through seven. Now the uh, the Philistines have have uh, stolen the ark. They have uh, invaded uh, Judah and they've uh, taken the ark, or Israel, and taken the ark. And uh, they were having a lot of problems with it because when they took it there, uh, every night Dagon, their god, would be found the next morning toppled over, broken pieces off of the statue. I'd hate to have a god that you can break his arms off and stuff like that, wouldn't you? <clears throat> but um, so they, after a while, they got enough of that. So they, they thought they were doing a good thing. They built a new cart and they sent some offerings, you know, along with it. And they sent it back, back to the Israelites. And so it stayed for a long time in this, this guy's house. And, um, and then finally David, he decided they need to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. But um, he, he should have known better than the copy of the Philistines. He did know better, but, but he, he went ahead anyway and he let, uh, he, let, he let the Philistines, which is a type of the world, let them influence him wrongly. And so he, he was bringing the new cart or bringing the ark back on a new cart, which is contrary to what God had told him to do. So let's, uh, let's look here in chapter 6, verse 1. And again, David gathered together all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David rose and went with all the people that were with him from Baalhe of Judah uh, to bring up from thence the ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubim. And they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahau, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was at Gibeah, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahau went before the ark. Now these two guys, this, this ark had been in the, in the home of Abinadab for 20 years. And so those boys had grown up with that, with that ark, and so it had become too familiar. Uh, they were too comfortable around, around that. And, um, 
And there was not the reverence, there was not the, the awe that, that was demanded of that because of what it represented. Verse 5, And David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments made of fir wood, even on harps, and on psalteries, and on timbrels, and on cornets, and on cymbals. When they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put forth his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen shook it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. Now the new, the new card is a, a picture, a, a telling illustration of any aggressive, uh, popular, unscriptural message in pursuing the work of God. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. Uh, today we, we need to recognize, I'm, I'm sure I'm kind of preaching to the choir now because I preach about this all the time. You're already aware of it. But we need to recognize the new carts. We need to label the new carts. We need to, we need to warn about the new carts and avoid every, uh, every thought of hitching up to the new cart. We need to stay away from them. I had a couple some time ago came and and they said, uh, preachers, said we, uh, you know, we we need to change our direction as a church. We need to change direction. Uh, we're not keeping up with the with the times. You know, the new the new things. You know, the progressive things that are going on. We're not we're not keeping up. We we need new we need new new leadership, or else for the leadership to lead us in a new direction. And I said, well, what's what's wrong with What's wrong with the older age? What's wrong with what we're doing? I mean, we're we're having souls saved every week in some of the ministries of our church. Isn't that what is? Isn't that what we're after? And um, you know, and and you know, we're doing we're doing things the way that you know the way that I believe the Lord wants us to do them. I see no need of taking a new direction. I think we just need to put more effort in the old direction. Just what what's been gone. We need to get more people involved and. And uh, and let's you know let's let's don't let's don't turn aside let's don't go the way that so many churches are going and I'm and I'm not talking about just you know Methodist or Pentecostal or 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 Presbyterian or whatever I'm talking about Baptist churches too I'm talking about even independent Baptist churches. I'm talking about independent Baptist churches that were once fundamental, soul-winning churches. But they've uh, hitched themselves to the new cart. So I want to listen, I want us to look at what's happening here and, and make application to our own way. Notice again here in uh, verse 3, they set the ark of God upon a new cart and brought it out of the house of, of Abinadab that was in Gibeah. And Uzzah and Ahau, the sons of Abinadab, drave the new cart. Now, David had the ark placed upon a recently acquired wagon. He wanted to move it from uh, Baali of Judah. That's, that's uh, you'll read someplace in the Bible where that's called uh, Kerjephthirim. 
And uh, he, he was interested and, and concerned about making Jerusalem not only the political capital, but also the religious capital of the nation. <clears throat> but, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that uh, you know, no matter what you think about uh, President Trump when he was, when he was president, uh, he, he fulfilled a, 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 uh, uh, an edict, if you want to call it that, had been made back under, I think it was back under Clinton's reign, that, that the capital of Israel was to be moved to Jerusalem. You know, taking them from Tel Aviv, move it to Jerusalem. That's the biblical thing. Uh, but Clinton didn't do it. Bush didn't do it. Uh, the other guy, Obama, didn't do it. Uh, so, so whatever you may think about Trump, that was something he did that should have been done. And I believe that uh, that 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 God will bless a country that will that will try to be a blessing to Israel and will try to be an ally and and. Uh, so this was a good thing. This is a good thing. God had clearly instructed that the ark was to be carried on poles supported on the shoulders of the Kohathites. Now the Kohathites, that was a family, a big, big family, had a lot of big families there that were uh, members of these different tribes. The tribe of Levi, this was the, these were the ones who were to be the priest and they were to take care of the tabernacle, the moving of it, the setting up of it, and doing the uh, priestly work in the tabernacle when they were set up. And whenever, whenever it was to be moved, there were certain people who were assigned uh, things that they were to, to do, the things they were to move. The Kohathites were the ones who were to move the ark. And it was to be, there were staves that were put through the rings that were on each corner of the ark, and those staves then were to be lifted on the shoulders of those Kohathites, and that was the way the ark was to be moved. David knew that. He knew that. But he, he didn't do anything that was even remotely close to those clearly defined instructions. C.I. Schofield, many of you have a Schofield Bible, a great Bible scholar, greatly used preacher, he once wrote, the story of David's new cart and its results is a striking illustration of the spiritual truth that blessing does not follow even the best intentions in the service of God except as that service is rendered in God's way. There, there's, a, there's a particular way that God says things are to be done. We have that here in the Bible. The book of Acts tells us a lot about uh, what we're supposed to do as Christian people. So, so why, why would we want to change from the way that God's told us to do it? The, uh, dur during my lifetime, during my ministry anyway, the, the, uh, really the glory years of in, in church life here in America, I believe, was in the 70s. I started pastoring in 1971. That, that, those were the years that the churches were growing, they were reaching souls, they were baptizing hundreds. Um, many, of the, many of the largest churches in states were independent Baptist churches. Largest church in Florida, Beaver Street Baptist Church, 
the largest, in fact, the largest Baptist church in the southeast. Uh, the, the largest in Georgia was Forest Hills Baptist in Atlanta, Georgia. The largest in South Carolina was uh, in, in uh, Greenville, uh, Tabernacle Baptist. Largest North Carolina, Northside Baptist, Jack Hudson pastor. Every state, every state that you could, that you could name, the largest church in that state was an independent Baptist church. Those were, those were great years. Those were years when emphasis being put on soul winning and, and getting people baptized and, and, uh, and reaching people, but, but doing it the Bible way. You didn't, I didn't, uh, you know, I used to, when, when I was pastoring in Tennessee, we'd, we'd come down and, of course, I, we would always attend church. In fact, Brother Carr would have me to preach there at Landmark. I used I used to wonder because on the, the Baptist trip that they had written, um, you know, a Bible verse on there and had KJV, and I thought, why is it necessary to do that? I mean, does anybody use anything but the KJV? That is in Baptist circles. Back then, you didn't hear of it. Now you can hardly find even an independent Baptist church that still uses the KJV. What's happened? Going the way the way of the popular, the popular movement. We want to be popular. But there's a certain way of doing the work of God, and the word of God tells us how. And we, we shouldn't want anything to do with the new cart because new carts lead to disobedience. The Bible says, and Samuel said, Hath the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and Sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. That, for, that verse is still in the Bible. It's, it's still there. Now, today, the deafening cry of countless professing careless Christians is we, we want to be casual in our approach to Christianity. Uh, some time ago, I saw on, in a magazine rack in a, in a store there was a it was a Time magazine, and they had a picture on the <clears throat> on the cover of the Time magazine, <clears throat> and it was a uh, what they called an evangelical pastor, and there was a picture of him. He, he 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 didn't have a beard, but he just hadn't shaved. You know, he had like a two or three day. He'd gone two or three days without shaving. Uh, he, had, he had on a pair of jeans that were faded. He had on a, a shirt that he didn't tuck in. My mama would have given him a whipping. <laughs> he no, had on uh, flip-flops. And he was standing there with no pulpit. He was standing there just, uh, you know, facing. There was no picture of the audience, but what would have been oh, standing there facing. And the caption underneath said the the new evangelical pastor. Well, I never did like to be called an evangelical anyway, but don't call me an evangelical. I'm not an evangelical. I'm an independent Baptist. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not going to take the word Baptist off our name. I want people to know before they come what we are. We're Baptists. I want to know what we stand for. There's a reason why I wear a suit. 
there's a reason why I shave. And I'm not saying anything about you guys with beards. I don't mean, I just don't, I'm not going to go three or four days uh, without shaving. Um, I'm not saying that that's a sin for you to have a beard, guys. So don't, don't uh, go home and berate me about it. I'm, but I'm just saying, I, I'm not going to stand in the pulpit with a five or six day unshaven face. Um, I don't, I don't, you know, I, I believe that a, that a preacher ought to look like a man of God. And I don't think that picture on Time Magazine pictures a man of God to me. Uh, the preacher's not some regular Joe. You know, back um, several years ago, they got to referring to big-time preachers, you know, by their first name, you know, uh, Brother Jerry or Brother uh, John or Brother Jack or something like that. And my... Um, my, my one of my my youngest sister actually uh, she used to call call here and she'd ask for she'd ask for Jean. So one day she called and Tony answered the phone, and she asked if she could speak to Jean. He said, "Well, there's no Jean here." <laughs> and she said, "Well, uh, is my brother there?" <laughs> and uh, and Tony said, "Oh well, yeah." Uh, yeah, Dr. Wiggins is here, but there's no gene here, you know. Um, you know, it's not that, you know, it's not that, that you know, a preacher, I don't, I don't want to be put on some kind of higher level or anything like that. I just think there's a dignity about a man of God. It should be. I think that ought to be exhibiting the way he dresses, the way he looks, the way he conducts himself. I don't, I don't believe that... Uh, that you'd have to spend six weeks around a man uh, before you could recognize that this guy's a preacher. I think it ought to be evident right away by his, by his vocabulary, by, by his appearance, everything about him. There ought to, there ought to, I believe there ought to be a certain dignity, certain reverence. I want people to know what I'm, what I'm about. Brother, our pastor, Brother Smith, he, he used to tell us when you go out visiting, I know, he said, I know that a lot of soul winners tell you to hide your Bible in your vest pocket, you know, um, use, a, use a little uh, soul winner New Testament or something and hide it in your vest pocket. He said, don't do that. He said, when you walk up to somebody's house, have, a, have your Bible out and have it big enough they can see it so that everybody knows what you're there for. And that's what I've always tried to practice. Uh, I don't always have one this big, but but it's close to it, close to it anyway. Um, you know, I don't want I don't want to be going to somebody's house and I'm sneaking in there, you know, and I don't let them know I'm I'm from Central Baptist Church and I want to have my Bible hidden and I'm going to wait, you know, a while until I find a real well, you know, I'm I'm here. I want to talk to you about the Lord. No, I want them to know when they open that door who I am. You may not agree with that, but that's just the way I am. That's the way I'm, I'm going to be. I was Baptist born, Baptist bred. When I die, I'll be Baptist dead. And so, 
People say, well, we need to add to our church service what people like, add what the community wants, subtract what it doesn't like. No, it, it's not what the community likes or hates that's to set the standard for the church. God's word is to set the standard. And it's not the few local uh, vocal critics who are to set the standard. It's the pulpits that set the standard. Some say we need a new method, hogwash. We don't need a new method. So when it worked in the past, it works for us now. Preaching worked in the past. It works now. Going after people one-on-one, -on -one, giving them the gospel worked in the past, and it works for us in the present. You'd better take note of that new cart and avoid it. It'll lead to disobedience. A new cart's filled with faulty merchandise. A lot of things are wrong with a new gospel cart. The worst of which is tampering with the Bible. Dr. Lester Roloff, he told about a time when he was, he was 16 years old. His, just he and his mother, I don't know if his dad was died or if she was divorced or what, but uh, he's raised by his mother. And he said, I was always a real skinny little guy. He said, I, uh, 16 years old, he said, I probably weighed about 95 pounds. But he said one time somebody broke into our house and uh, they, and, and they, was, they started, you know, abusing my, my mama. He said, I got the broomstick to them. And I began to beat him over the head with that broomstick. And he said, I, I ran him off. He said, I told him, don't mess with my mama. Don't mess with my mama. He said, the Bible talks about that we're born again by the incorruptible word of God. We're born again by the incorruptible word of God. He said, this is my mama. Don't mess with my mama. <laughs> That's good preaching, isn't it? Don't mess with my mama. Don't mess with the word of God. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with this. Nothing wrong with it. Why do you want to mess with it? Why do you want to correct it? We need to keep the God-inspired, infallible, impeccable Word of God. A new cart brings with it a book of contemporary courses, but no hymnal with the old standards. A hundred little feel-good courses cannot take the place of one good hymn about the blood of Jesus. The ecumenical movement has taken up residence in the new cart. Those entered are what Dr. Tom Malone calls a mixed multitude. In this multitude, you find people holding hands with other religions that, that don't have a grasp on the fundamentals of Bible doctrine. Years ago, when a pastor in Tennessee, <clears throat> uh, in the Southern Baptist Convention, they, they were promoting this thing they called Key 73. That was in 1973. <clears throat> and, uh, and so they... they had a committee that was calling all the pastors in, in the city, and it was, I guess it was all over America. <clears throat> but uh, a person called me and said, we're, uh, you know, we're wanting you to be involved in Key 73. He said, we're, uh, we're going to do visitation. We're going to go to all the homes. And, of course, we were already doing that. Our church is already doing that. But uh, he said, we're going to go to all the homes and, and present the gospel in every home. 
But he said, we're, we're doing this as unified. It's going to be a unified thing. It's not just Baptists. He said, we're, we're wanting Methodists. We're wanting Episcopalians. We're wanting, uh, uh, you know, every, every nomination. Everybody is going to be involved. All of, and he said, what we're going to do, we're going to, be, we're going to organize into it. So we're going to have, have uh, groups of two, uh, uh, teams of two that will go out he said, what we want to do, we want to, we want to have a unity. We want to try to unify uh, all, you know, all the Christians, all the churches. And, and so he's, he said, what we would do is, uh, like, like you, for instance, you're, you're a Baptist preacher. Uh, we'll put, you, you would say a Methodist preacher. And you all will go out you know, into the homes and present the gospel. I said, well, no, wait a minute. I said, uh, uh, the gospel that the Methodists preach is not the same one I preach. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, you know, one thing, they, you know, they, they, don't, they don't believe that it's salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus. You know, you've got to add works to it. There's works and do good, doing good and all those things. And I said, uh, uh, then, if you, then if you were to get somebody saved, they don't baptize them. Sprinkling is not baptism. Pouring water on their head, that's not baptism. Baptism is total immersion in water. Picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the gospel, the picture of the gospel. So how, how are we going to go? How am I going to go off with somebody, somebody like that? I mean, which one of us is going to talk? Which one of us is going to present the true gospel? I said, I wouldn't be interested in anything like that. Uh, you go ahead with your uh, unity stuff, but, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be hooked up with somebody that's preaching another gospel. Do you remember what Paul said about somebody preaching another gospel? He said, let them be anathema. Let them be damned. That's a pretty harsh word. I said, how can two walk together except they be agreed? A lady uh, one time called, called me here, and uh, she said, I'm the, you know, I'm kind of the uh, uh, spiritual director, you know, of the, of one, of, one of the ball teams, one of the ball leagues, the kids, you know, the kids, uh, something like Little League. I don't it might have been Little League. I don't know, remember what it was, but. She said, I'd like for you to come and, um, and do, you know, do a devotional uh, as we start the season and, uh, and, and you know, and, and de deliver the invocation. I think an invocation, I think that's a prayer, isn't it, I believe. And, uh, and I said, well, okay. And I said, uh, and she said, uh, but there's one, one uh, little thing I got to mention to you. She said, there will be uh, people of other faiths and there will also be people of other religions besides Christianity. And so we would appreciate it that in, you know, in your prayer that you would not pray in the name of Jesus. And I said, no, ma'am. I wouldn't be interested in being there for any kind of a situation like that. Because my Bible tells me that I am to pray in the name of Jesus. 
And uh, when, when I pray, I close out my prayer. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. I said, how can I pray without praying in the name of Jesus? And I don't care how many religions you got there, how many different religions you got there, how many different faiths you got there. Um, if I pray, if I'm going and I pray, I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus. And she said, well, I'm sorry. You know, I, I guess we won't be able to use you. I said, you know, you won't. But several days later, she called back. She said, well, you know, she said, I brought this before the uh, uh, committee, the people, you know, that do the uh, choosing of these kind of things and all. And she said that they would, be, they would be all right with you praying in the name of Jesus. But, you know, there's so much, there's so much, these new carts, new cars, so much going on in uh, churchianity today, it's just, it's just uh, who would have ever thought that we, we, we'd see the things taking place in churches today? Who would have ever thought 50 years ago, 40 years ago, 30 years, years ago, we'd be seeing these things? That new church, that new car rather, there's an ecumenical spirit in that new car. There's also an easy, casual attitude and a slothful spirit in that new car about the work of God. That new car pushes parachurch organizations which offer themselves as a substitute for the local church. That new car carries worldliness among its wares. Its, it's popular brand of anything goes Christianity offers something that God never sanctioned. These contemporary-style Christians have absolutely no standards, absolutely no separation because they're traveling with a new cart. A new cart. You know, they've, they've made the word progressive a bad word. Progressive. Don't talk to me about what they're calling progressive, a new direction, new, uh, new message, new, new uh, type of services. I read that when World War I broke out, the Prime Minister of Australia said the Australian Commonwealth would do what they could uh, to back Great Britain, break, uh, Great Britain. And he asked them what was the most useful thing his country could do, and the reply was, build us ships. We want ships. We need ships. Build us ships, and you can help by building us ships. But Australia was not attentive to, to the request, so they did not build ships Instead, they began to till the soil and sow seed and reap harvest to send food uh, to Great Britain. Grain was gathered, put into sacks, carried to the water's edge to await a ship. But the ship which they did not build did not come. The grain was available, but there was no way to transport it. Mice got into the grain and brought disease that attacked the eyes of men, blinding some. Great Britain said ships, but Australia was disobedient to the request. All the way from the Garden of Eden up to this very moment, God asked for obedience. Obedience. But new carts lead to disobedience. And furthermore, they bring wares to your town that are faulty and flawed and foolish. Christianity 
has very little influence anymore in America. Maybe I ought to rephrase that. Uh, real true Christianity is not being preached very much in America anymore. So it leads, the new cart leads to disobedience. The new cart leads to deception. Look at verse 5. David and all the house of Israel played before the Lord on all manner of instruments, made of fir wood, even on harps and on psalteries and timbrels and cornets and on cymbals. The entire nation of Israel, from the youngest to the eldest, began to play instruments and celebrate the moving of the ark. Instead of such rejoicing, they should have been on their faces before God repenting. There's a nine-letter word that could easily be painted on the canvas of this jubilant scene, and that's the word D-E-C-E-P-T-I-O-N, deception, deception. These, these people were fooled. They were deceived. They were hoodwinked. They and, and we should not want anything to do with new carts because they always lead to deception. Not, not everyone who claims to be Christian has your spiritual well-being in mind. Not everyone's interested in your doing things right and serving God. I can think of at least three people who will attempt to lead the believer astray. Number one is self. Yourself. For if a man think himself to be something when he's nothing, he deceiveth himself. Galatians chapter 6 verse 3. The most dangerous person who would attempt to lead a believer astray is self. The person whose face you see in the mirror, that person has the power to deceive you. Self-deception is the worst form of deception. Pay attention to that. Self-deception is the worst form of deception. To be led astray by self is a danger to which you must be alert. You know, when you, when you do wrong, you sin, when you sin, but, and, but you want to justify it, you can, you can deceive yourself into justifying what you've done, can't you? Self-deception. Uh, so self, number two, someone who's close to you. Proverbs 26, 19 says, So is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am, am, I, am not I in sport? Not everybody that shakes your hand, hugs your neck, and calls you friend has the purest of intention. So be, be alert. And then third, Satan. That great, old, that great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9. The devil holds a doctrine in deception. He's a master at weaving deception and leading you astray. New carts lead to deception. Notice verse 7. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God smote him there for his error, and there he died by the ark of God. A new cart leads to death. God tells us that the ark shook upon the wagon, and Uzzah stretched forth his hand to steady it, resulting in God's becoming outraged to the point of killing Uzzah 
right on the spot. Remember, I told you, it was in their house. That ark was in their house for 20 years. They had got too comfortable around it. I, I, don't, I don't too much care about this new trend, you know, that all oh, come as you are. You know, you want everybody to be comfortable. If you want to wear shorts, uh, uh, you want to wear a halter top or... Uh, you know, you don't want to, you know, don't wear anything at all. Just come on. Uh, I, don't, I don't like that. I don't like that. That casual approach to Christianity, casual approach to serving God, becoming too familiar with the things of God. That's why I caution you parents, don't let your children make a playhouse of the house of God. Don't let them be running up and down the aisles in the house of God. They, they're, they're playing. They're, uh, they get the wrong attitude about the house of God. Uzzah's name means strength. You need to get hold of this truth. A strong God doesn't need man's support. No matter who we are or what we do in service to God, he got along without us before we came along. He'll be able to get along just fine after we're gone. A pastor in Tennessee, we had a family that came join the church. He had been pastoring a church for 14 years. I don't know why he quit, but but they came joined our church. Well, he, he kind of got unhappy because I never called on him to preach. I'd never asked him to preach. We had an associate, and, and if I was going to be gone, I, you know, I, I called on the associate. That's what was expected. And, uh, and so he kind of got upset with me because I never called on him to preach. And so he told me, he said, if you're not going to call on me to preach, ever call on me to preach, he said, I'm just going to leave. I said, well, you know what? We were doing all right before you came here. We'll do right all right after you leave. You know, can't you, don't you hate these people that are, <clears throat> well, if you don't do what I want, I'll just take my stuff and leave. Don't you hate that, that, that attitude? You know, you feel like saying, go ahead. But we're, no, we're too tactful, aren't we? We're too... We're too loving. We're not going to do that. But uh, I don't think it's a sin to think that. But <laughs> anyway, let's go on here. I never preach, but what I think about John 15, verse 5, without me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. I don't need five different commentaries to figure out the meaning of that word, nothing. Nothing means nothing. No thing. We should want nothing, no thing to do with a new cart because it always leads to death. James 1.15 says, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Those who have these new cart ministries, they may boast and brag of their high attendance, their millions in the bank and the things they have, but the end will not be as they think. The story is not over yet. The last chapter has not been put on the end of the narrative. They may dislike our 
fundamentalism and our separation, our old ways tried and tested. They may laugh at us and call us ugly names in an attempt uh, to intimidate, but don't forget, it ain't over yet. What was it Yogi Bear said? Until what? <laughs> no, that's not it. I'm going to let you say it. It's not, it ain't over till what? The fat lady sings. <laughs> I know. We can't say that anymore from the pulpit. So that's why I wanted you to say it. See. You know, I'm not saying there's no room for improvement or that, uh, you know, that either I or our church is an example to be emulated. I am saying that, that what I have is right and and, and it's true, and I know that God, God is blessing our ministry here, and I'm not interested in changing. I don't think we need new direction. We need to get more people involved in the direction we're going. I'm happy with what I have. I'm happy with the kind of preaching we have here. I'm, I'm happy with our Sunday school teachers. I'm happy with our bus workers. I don't, uh, I don't, I don't need uh, uh, video to help me preach. I'm nothing wrong. With it. I'm not saying there's nothing, you know, there's anything wrong with that. But, but, um, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't need that. I don't need colored pencils for you to be uh, coloring in things while I'm preaching. I don't, I don't. Uh, I'm not interested in passing out. Handouts, outlines. I don't want you to get ahead of me. I'm not interested in 15-minute sermonettes, as you well know. I have a hard time preaching 30-minute sermonettes, but um, but I try. I assure you, I do try. When when the when I see the clock is getting toward the hour, the half point of the hour, I. You know, I start getting nervous because I know you're getting nervous. But I, um, I'm not, I'm not interested in all of those. I'm, I'm happy with our soul winning because it's the Bible way of winning souls. I'm happy with biblical standards and trying to live a life that doesn't have the fingerprint of the world on it. I'm not looking for anything else. We have the truth. And any other direction is not leading to life, it's leading to death. A preacher told a visiting uh, Mount Hermon school in Northfield, Massachusetts. Some of you will, will recognize that was a school that was started by D.O. Moody. He was questioning some students there, and they did not even know who D.O. Moody was. It was not a Christian school anymore reading history of the school in the library. This is what this preacher was telling. He said he saw in, where in 1924 through 32, the president of the school at that time dropped the rules about smoking and dancing and needing to be born again. So now the school that had once, that had been founded by the great soul-winning D.O. Moody was no longer even a Christian school. I'm telling you, folks, new carts 
always lead to disobedience, to deception, and to death. We need to be thankful that we're in the old path by conviction. Let's be content with those convictions. Let's be satisfied and grateful with our faith that our fathers gave us. I thank God for our Baptist heritage. We ought to be thankful for those who've run the race ahead of us and given us the baton. We ought to ask the Lord, uh, the help of God, to keep us true to the old methods and the old paths. You know, God's way has worked pretty well for us here over the years. Look at the young men who are serving the Lord here. I look back there and I see Brother Solomon. And I see Brother Tyler up, although he's trying to hide, he's up there on the balcony. And I see Brother Brother Mickey up there, Brother Thomas down here, these young men that are serving the Lord. And they they pretty much grew up here. I mean, some of them, this is where they got saved. Ezekiel, Brother Ezekiel back there, these these men. And our and younger, younger guys back there, Nicholas and Bradley and, and Brother Jim. I look at these young these young married couples here, Solomon and Amber, Thomas and Christy, Christine. Christy. Uh, and I better quit trying to call names because you can see I'm awful about remembering names. But I, I see these young married couples. They're here, they're serving the Lord. We must have done something right. Must have been doing something right. I look at some of the older couples. I I don't mean old, but I mean older than the young people. You understand that? I see Darren and Sharon. Darren and Sharon got I married them a hundred years ago. They're still serving the Lord. They're in the church serving the Lord. Look at Joe and Stacy over there. Joey married a younger woman. He's older, but she's... There's Matt and Rachel. And uh, I, you know, uh, all over this audience, practically everybody here, your people that you've been here, you've been here, you've, you're serving the Lord, you're still serving the Lord. Let's keep that up. Let's keep it up. What's wrong? What's wrong with that? What's wrong with having that kind of church? These uh, older folks that have stayed by the stuff. You look at Brother Bill over here. Uh, Randy. Uh, Brother Houlihan. Look at um, I started I start to say uh, Brother Edwards, but you'd think that I was talking about Micah, but I'm talking about his dad. That uh, still, so Micah is one of the young married. One of the young marrieds. I think about these. I think about these. You know, with their family. Look at look at uh, the here. All of his kids are here. All of his kids here. Brother Puckett back there. All of his kids. What an example! What an example! These families are. Look look at. I mean, 
These folks are happy. Serving the Lord. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with the old time way. It works. Why do we want to depart from that? Why would we want new direction? Let's just get more involved in the direction that we're going. Would you stand please? The head's bowed. Now, Heavenly Father, I ask you to bless the invitation time. I realize this has not been an evangelistic message, but if there is someone here tonight without Christ, I pray that something would have been said or maybe the Holy Spirit used something tonight to cause conviction, to cause them to want to come and be saved. I pray that you'll help them to come. Lord, if there are Christians that need to rededicate their life, maybe they need, maybe they've been leaning toward the new cart need to get back get back to the old ways I pray to help them to come whatever the need is speak to every heart I pray in Jesus name amen we sing a verse of invitation song we invite you to come Yeah. Uh-huh.